thank you for joining us for this broadcast from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. We hope that you will subscribe and will share our broadcast with others. Now, we take you to the pulpit of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. Before we get to the lesson, listen, I just, I had a conversation this past week with somebody and some things that uh, continue or are always on my heart as a minister, but something that I just want to make sure this morning that we don't miss, that we, that we, that we start out at this place because the salvation of your soul, all right, is the most important decision that you'll ever make. There's a lot of discussion about a lot of things, and we have uh, conversations and sometimes even debates about a lot of things uh, within Scripture, and we try to grow in our knowledge, and we try to grow in our understanding, but the truth of the matter is, is if we miss salvation, right, if we miss that part of, of our relationship with God, then the rest of it doesn't matter. And Jesus, I mean, th- these, are, these, are, these are red words. You know, I mean, they're white on the screen. But you know what I mean? These are red words. Jesus said, go into all the world. This is to, you know, to his followers. He says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. And then he said there's a response to that, that if they hear that, something, and, 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 it, and it registers with them, something could happen. He said, whoever believes and is baptized will be what? Will be saved. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. You know, our, our hope, our, our desire for each and every one of you is to be saved, to be in a relationship with God, to be in that salvation relationship where, where you're no longer um, controlled by your own desires. You're controlled by the Spirit of God. That's who leads your life. That's who pushes you in positive directions. That's what we want for you this morning. Peter puts it this way in chapter, or 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 21. Um, if you skip down the second line, there it says, baptism now saves you. And I love the, the simplicity of that statement. We, in the religious world, we've made salvation so complicated. There's, uh, for, for every different type of church building that's on the corner, there's a different teaching of how to be saved. Listen, the scripture, this isn't Matthew. This isn't the people across the street or down the road or, or anybody. This is just, this is just God. He just says, your baptism saves you. But he doesn't just stop there because you see, it's not just about getting wet. If we're not careful, we can be guilty of that to just teaching getting wet. He says, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And two things here outside of the salvation part is it's about an action and about a commitment. Okay, if you have the commitment without the action, there is no salvation. If you have the action without the commitment, there is no salvation. But I also want you to understand this. You don't save yourself. You don't save yourself. Baptism and salvation very much is, is a teaching and, and, and an action, if you will, that you are completely helpless in. From, from the simple fact of the physical side of it, of someone else actually baptizes you. You know, there's, there's that physicalness of you've got to trust that person. You know, it's all about trust. We, we had a baptism when I was in McMinnville. I'll never forget this baptism. It was an older brother baptizing his little brother. And um, this was one of those late night, cool, cool moments. But anyway, he's like, I now baptize you. And like, he put him under, like that was the, I save you part. And then there was the I'm your brother part, and he went down, and then he gave him like an extra shove, like close to the bottom, and then brought him back up. You know, there's got to be some trust in baptism, right? you got to trust that person's going to get you down and get you back up. Luckily, I've not dropped anybody yet, and I hope that I can continue to. But then there's also this, your salvation comes through the resurrection of Jesus. Amen? 
not from me, not from anybody else, but from Jesus himself. So I, don't, I want you to know this this morning. This is the most important decision you can, will, might ever make. And if there's ever any doubt in your mind, don't let this decision be a fuzzy decision. That was a conversation I was having with someone this week about, about their journey, about their faith. And I said, of all the things that we can talk about, this is the most important thing to get right. Because if you don't get this right, then nothing else matters. And so if you ever get to that point where you're fuzzy on this, let's not, let's not be fuzzy on our salvation. God's grace is going to help us work out the rest of it. But without coming into that relationship, we miss the grace of God. Amen? Are y'all with me this morning? Y'all there? Y'all there? Okay. Just making sure. Just making sure. We, uh, we'll start over. We'll hit rewind. Start all over again. Get you to wake up. So anyway, as, as we think about that this morning, let's pray together. Then we're going to jump in to our lesson. God, we just thank you for, for being the awesome God that you are. We thank you for being the loving God, the merciful God, um, the God of all creation, the God of salvation. Be with us this morning, God, as we dive into your word. And our, and our first desire this morning is that as we hear your word, that we're like those in Acts chapter 2 and we're pricked in the heart and we're moved by your spirit, God, and, and we're convicted by your words that we want to be better people, better Christians, better light, bigger and brighter lights, God. We want to be in a salvation relationship with you that is functioning in a positive way and helping us move forward. So God, be with us today. Be with those whose hearts may be contemplating this salvation relationship with you. Let them, just, just let them make that decision today uh, to be right with you and to not leave this place without making that commitment before we leave today. It's in your son's name we pray, amen. All right. Now go with me to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the idea of lost. And then Jonathan, uh, in, in kind of the same vein, talked about kind of the, the same kind of general concept last week. So we're, we're kind of in this idea in Luke chapter 15 of, of things being lost. But what the beauty of Luke chapter 15 is not just the lost side of it, but also the what? The found side of it. In a song we sing, I once was lost, but now I'm found, which is a line from this Luke chapter 15 passage as the prodigal son returns and the older son's getting all grouchy and groppy. The dad says, look, my son was lost and now he was gone. He, he had stepped away from this relationship. Now he's back with us. And what I want us to do today is a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the first couple of um, the first couple of texts, uh, pa parables rather, during this in this particular story. And today what I want us to do is, is look at the prodigal son, but we're going to look at the prodigal son from the aspect of the son in particular this morning. And then next week, we're going to talk about the father and how he relates to God. So let's start in this particular text. We'll start um, in verse 11, read 11 through 20. It says, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me a share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together. All he had set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything there, ever, after he spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him 
come to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with pies that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. Let's stop right there. That's going to be our, our text and idea for the day. So, so we'll back up to the beginning of this passage, and we're going, to, we're going to work through a few things together as we look at it. The first thing that I want you to understand this morning, the first thing that I want you to know from this text, from this story, is that and really, we're going to look at this journey of falling away and coming back. All right, That's kind of what we're looking at today, falling away and coming back, deciding to be lost and then being found once again. In our life, if we ever fall away from God, if we ever find ourselves in a situation where our relationship with God is no longer the focal point, the most important thing, and as a matter of fact, it might even be non-existent, I want you to know this morning that that happens by your choice. That happens by your choice. I want you to repeat this phrase with me. You do what you want to do. Do you believe that? You do what you want to do. You, and and, I, and I, that, that phrase crossed my mind one day, several years ago, as I was prepping for a class. You do what you want to do. And the reason that that flipped through my mind was so many times we like to come up with excuses, don't we? We like to come up with excuses. I, you know, I did this because so-and-so made me mad. That's one of the biggest excuses that we all use. Have you ever used that? So-and-so made me mad. Raise your hand if you use that phrase. So-and-so made me mad. Does anybody have the power and ability to make you anything? This is yes, this is no. Does anybody have the power to make you anything? No, you choose, you decide. If you want to be healthy, what do you decide to do to be healthy? If you want to be unhealthy, you decide to be unhealthy. If you want to buy a new car, you decide to buy a new car. If you want to sin, you decide to sin. You do what you want to do, plain and simple. And in this story, we start out and we see this son who is not really content with where he is in life. He's aggravated, maybe he's frustrated, he's, he's just really just in a bad place. Any of you ever have to find, just find yourself in a bad place in life? We've got to be careful when we find ourselves in a bad place in life because when we start focusing on those bad things, those negative things, it'll make us make bad decisions. But here's what it is. He had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. Now, that's an interesting phrase right there to me because does this son own anything? This son doesn't own a thing. You know, we have a house, we have a home, we all live in that home. And my kids would tell you that that's their home, their house, right? But my kids don't own any of it. Nothing in there is theirs. They have no ability or right or power to make any decision about anything, about the property, about the house, about any. It's, it's, it's ours. It's mine and Blair's. It doesn't belong to them, Okay. Not at all. But this son has made the decision that he's owed something. He deserves something. And with that, he's decided, he has decided to have a lack of respect, a lack of understanding, a lack of appreciation, 
of whatever it is that his father has and given. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you in your life, if you came home when you were a kid and you said, Father, give me my share of the estate, how many of you would be able to write the next phrase, so he divided up his property between them? Any of you? How many of you would have been able to write a phrase after that? You know, I would have, there would have, I, it, it would not have been good. It would not have been good. But this dad decides, hey, we're just, we're going to let him, we're going to let him have, we're going to let him do. So he divides it up. And this son chooses to do what? He decides to leave. And that's something I want you to understand this morning. And, and I believe this, and I don't want you to misunderstand this, but I want you to follow this. Once you become a child of God, you are his child. Okay? You're his child. And the only person that can change that is who? You. But although you might be his child, you know what you can do? You can put yourself in a situation where you no longer benefit from the blessings and the graces that come from being in the household of God. You can take yourself out of your salvation relationship. You can take yourself out of the forgiveness realm. You can take yourself out of that and mercy realm you're still his child but you can turn your back and walk away and that's a dangerous place to be you know and, and in that same way the, when we choose to do that we have the ability or the or the the mindset a lot of times to blame it on other people I'm living a life that I shouldn't live. But you know what? If you had had the childhood that I had, you'd understand the decisions that I made. If you had to live with the spouse that I live with, you would understand the decisions I... If, if you knew the stress that I had in my life, you'd understand why... Look, you can make up all the excuses in the world. All the excuses in the world of why you might choose sin over God, but none of them hold water. I'm going to show you why. Go to the James passage. Can you get to that one? Um, in James chapter 1, James starts out with some great powerful stuff. And he says, hey, uh, the first verse three, verse two, somewhere around there, says, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And he's gonna go through this, this conversation in chapter one about testing and trying and temptations. And then he gets right here in verse 13. He says, when tempted, how many of you are tempted? Everybody raise your hand. How many of you are tempted? Okay, that's all of us, right? When tempted, so he's talking to us, no one should say, God is tempting me. In other words, don't make up excuses. You follow me? Don't make up excuses because you do what? What you want to do. You make the decision. No one says, don't, don't say God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone but each person, and we talked about this in class this morning, each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their, what? What's the next word? Own evil desires and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, gives birth to death. Where does our temptations come from? Do they come from God? No. Do our temptations even come from the devil? Where do our temptations come from? From right here. That's one thing Will said in class this morning. He said, you know, sometimes our desires in and of themselves aren't bad, but we have a tendency to allow them 
to become bigger than our desire for God. And when that happens, now they've become evil. When our love for sports becomes greater than our love for God, and our dedication to that becomes greater than our dedication to God, our dedication to money becomes greater than our dedication to God. But I'm going to tell you what Satan does do. Now you're, now you're with me this morning. What Satan does do is Satan likes to fish. How many of you like to fish? How many of you like to fish? Okay. Fishing is a good thing. You feel close to God when you fish? Yeah. You know, I used to think that fish could hear every word that I said. Because my granddad always told me, if you don't be quiet, fish aren't going to bite. They hear you. Then I found out that's not true. He just didn't like to hear me talk while he was fishing. Not that I've ever had a trouble being quiet. But he says, what happens is you've got these desires. And when you have these desires, then the devil figures out how to entice you. That's what you do when you fish. That word entice, that's a, that's a hunting term in the Greek, to draw something out to, that, by desire. And so what Satan does, he comes in and he says, hey, that looks good, doesn't it? That looks good. If you're a fish, does that look good? Well, let me ask you, Wiley, does that look good right there to you, that grub worm? Does, I, mean, I mean, for real, like the... Not to anybody who think this grub worm looks good. So sometimes Satan dangles stuff in front of us, and we go, man, I don't want that. It doesn't look good. That's not a desire. And then you know what he does? He goes, okay, that doesn't work. Let's see if I can do this without catching myself. How about now? Does that look better now? Wiley, does that look a little more attentive now? You got it? That's what Satan does, doesn't he? And he dangles it right in front of us, and he says, hey, you want this. This is what you want. This is what you want. But really and truly, Satan does more than that. Satan has a shotgun approach. This is Jamie's $5, so y'all don't let me forget to give it to him when he gets done. That could just be his contribution to the Valentine family fund today. Here's what Satan does. Satan, we've been talking about on Wednesday nights how Satan doesn't... um, Satan doesn't have the powers and the abilities to know what you think and know. Like, he, he doesn't have that anymore, okay? He's, he's very limited right now. So as a shotgun approach, and the shotgun approach is I'm going to just wide burst and let me see what happens. So here's what Satan does to us. You ready? This is what Satan does to us. It's lopsided. He just puts it all around us. So no matter where we turn... No matter where we go, no matter what we do, Satan's there. And he's like, hey, look at this. Look at this. It's ADD Christianity, you know? It's let me draw your attention so that, so that you won't focus on what you need to focus on. And sometimes it looks so good. It looks so wonderful. It looks so great. And that's the thing about sin. That's the thing about sin. You've heard me tell this before. My mother-in-law always asked me this question, or she used to. She'd be like, what are you preaching on this morning? Sin? Yeah. And then her next phrase is, are you for it or are you against it? I finally looked at her one day. I go, I'm for mine, but I'm against yours. But aren't we that way? Why do we fall into temptation? Because that temptation looks good, doesn't it? That temptation looks enticing. It looks like the $5 bill dangling right in front of us, all the stuff in our face. It's right there, and it looks so good. And we grab it, and we've been enticed 
and he hooks us. But what happens? What happens when we give in? Then we're dragged away. We're dragged away. See, as long as we're together, as long as we're together, we're okay. Because as I'm struggling and as I'm falling, someone can grab me. But when I have this temptation over here and I reach away from the body and I grab it and he jerks me away, now I'm out of my safety zone. I'm not with the family anymore. I've got to figure it out by myself. And that's a lot of times when we get in trouble. That's what happens to our bully here in our story. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. And it all happens because you decide to do it. So I want you to make that decision this morning. I'm going to stand with God. I'm, not, I'm going to do my best to fight the temptations. I'm not going to have this ADD Christianity and focus on the things around me. Um, let's go back to our Luke 15 text, if you don't mind, guys. Um, because when we do that, we stay at home. But when we walk away from home, when we walk away from home, we end up we're not careful, we end up in a pig pen. Because that, that's the progression of sin, okay? That's the progression of sin. So he starts out, he sets off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. I, I, I don't know the exact Greek around this, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to paraphrase this for a second. He had fun, okay? He squandered his wealth on wild living. He went out and he lived, what's the, new, what's the, the social media phrase? Live your what? your best life. Live your best life. No matter what that is, he lived his best life for a little, I don't know how long, but then what happens? After he had spent some of it, a little bit of it, everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country. He began to be in need. That's what happens to us spiritually. We spend and spend and spend ourselves, and then we find at the end of temptation and sin, we find emptiness and famine, and we are and we are not filled anymore. And then he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. Now, you're talking about a Jewish audience here, okay? When you say pig around me, I think barbecue. Anybody else, can you amen that? You say pig around me, I think barbecue. We don't think anything bad about that. But for this group of people, this is an unclean animal. You don't have anything to do with it, much less eat it. But what does it say? So when he hired himself out to the citizen of that country who sent him to the field to feed pigs, it says he longed to fill his stomach with the pies that the pigs were eating. He wanted to eat that which made the pigs unclean, which would have defiled himself, made himself unclean. He was in a bad spot. He was in a bad spot. When he came to his senses... Here's the positive. You choose to walk away. Sometimes we do. You choose to walk away. You do what you want to do. Satan's going to do everything he can to distract you, to keep you. But you choose to walk away. But at the same time, you can choose to come home. You can choose to come home. The doors are never shut at the house. The doors are never locked. The lights are never turned out. The TV's always on. There's always dinner on the table. Look what he says. When he came to his senses. Now, he had to hit rock bottom. You don't have to. If you're on that journey away from God this morning, know this morning, you don't have to hit your spiritual big pen rock bottom to come home. You can be four steps away from the driveway and turn around and come home, okay? You can be in the middle of the wild living of having fun, and you can come home. You don't have to be spiritually spent to get to this point. But have your moment to realize, I can come home. He says, how many of my, five, of my father's hired servants... 
have food to spare. Now, he wasn't necessarily thinking about his bed, or he didn't mention his bed, okay? But I've got a feeling that there were a lot of nights he went to bed thinking about mama's cooking in my warm bed. Don't you? Mama's, and he goes, and he wants to go home. And he says, I want to go home, I'm going to go home, but I know that I'm not good enough to go home. That, that's a struggle with sin. Satan wants you to believe you're not good enough, but you are this morning, okay? You are good enough to come home. So he says, I will go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. Now, two things. Number one, it's not enough just to confess it and say, I need to do it. You've got to what? Do it. You've got to do it. So if you're on that journey, no, you've got to come home. It's not enough to say, I know I can, but do it. Get up and come home. Now, a lot of that's very individual to, 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 to those that may be struggling this morning. Because I know in a group this big, some, somebody is. Somebody's struggling with this staying at home. Well, I mean, that's just part of the journey. All right, but here's the flip side of that. Where did he want to go? He wanted to go home. He wanted to go home. And for him to want to go home, there had to be a home for him to go back to, a place that he longed for. And I want us to think about that as a church family for just a moment. This place right here, this room, these people, the things that we do, if we want lost Christians that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about lost Christians, people who were once with God and decided, I'm going to walk away. And, and, and I'm going to tell you, this, this says a lot about this church in, in a positive way, okay? I can't tell you how many people that I've talked to in this community in the last two years that have said this. I used to go to church at Ninth Avenue. If we could get all of those people that used to go to church at Ninth Avenue to come back, we'd have to build another auditorium or have another worship service or something, you know. So a lot of people that used to go to Ninth Avenue that don't come here anymore. People that grew up here, well, for whatever reason, we're not going to get into why they're not here anymore, but they're not. And, and it tells me that Ninth Avenue has been active in this community for such a long time that so many people have ties back to this congregation, to this family. But I've also heard from a handful of them, and I'm not, this is not an indictment. This is a conversation. We're just talking here, okay? Because people do what they want to do. But at the same time, I've also heard people say, they'll tell me a story and they go, well, I was told. I was told. And what usually follows that is I was struggling with something and I was told something negative or perceived it as something negative that kept them from coming home. And I say that to say this. If we want people to come home, we have to create an environment that they want to come home to. You agree? This can't be a place of judgment and condemnation. When someone who's not been in this building in 15 years walks in, we can't be like, did you see who was here this morning? Can you believe it? I can't believe it. Whew. Uh, after all, they can't believe they showed up here. You know we may not have said it, but a lot of us have been guilty of feeling that way, okay? And we can't be that way. It's not our job to judge, like truly judge. Do we teach the truth? Yes. Do we encourage? Yes. Do we try to correct in the appropriate loving way? Yes. I get all of that. But if we want them to come home, you know what's going to bring them home first and foremost above anything else? 
love. Love. Jesus didn't say, they'll know you're my disciples by the way you get your doctrine right. They're not going to say, you know, they're going to know you're my disciples by the way that, you know, by the way that you do your worship service. They said, they're going to know you're my disciples by the way you what? Love. His greatest command was love as I have what? Loved you. I'm not saying the other stuff isn't important. I'm talking about bringing people back home. We have to show them love. And this guy knew he could go home. And his dad, I'm sure, dealt with some things. I'm sure he dealt with some things when he got home. But the first step as a church is to create an environment where people want to go home, come home. If we're fussing and bickering and backbiting with each other, people don't want to come home to that because we don't look any different than the world. We've got to look different. We've got to have that love of Jesus so that these people will want to come home. And then when we get them, get them back, what do we do? We start continuing to help them on their journey, help them deal with their temptations, help them deal with their sins, help them deal with their struggles, get things right that need to be right. But we got to get them home first. So let's make it our goal as a church family. Let's make it our goal to create a home that they want to come home to. So there's two challenges this morning. Two challenges. Number one, are you his child? Are you in the house to begin with? That's what we just talked about to the beginning. Believe in me, be baptized, and you'll be saved. That's the first question for you this morning. Is that a decision you have not made that you need to make to get into the house to begin with? Because you see, it doesn't do any good to, to stand in the window and just look inside and think, oh, it'd be great. You don't really benefit from anything, okay? Be in the family. The second, I guess there's three things. It wouldn't be a sermon without three things, right? Are you in the family? Have you walked away from the family this morning? Are you, on the, are, are, you, are you struggling? Are you thinking about leaving? Hey, understand, this is where you need to be. And third, for those of you that have never left, that's great. And I'm glad you're here, but let's create an environment that people want to come home to. Amen? Let's go to God in prayer. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for the chance to be together. We thank you for this time of worship. We thank you for the songs that we've sung and the ability to lift our voices into your throne room this morning with the millions of other Christians from around the world and with those that are in your throne room singing as well. It's so great to be part of that this morning. We thank you for the communion that we've had with one another and with you through the Lord's Supper. We thank you for your words that have been spoken from your book, the prayers that have been offered, God. We just thank you for this day of worship. Help us to be fulfilled. Help us to be uplifted. Help us to be encouraged. Help us to be convicted, God. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. If this program has been beneficial to you, please consider subscribing on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast provider. Also, We'd love for you to leave us a five-star review, which will greatly assist us in getting the message of God's love and salvation to others. We'd love even more for you to join us in person. We are located at 2309 9th Avenue in Haleyville, Alabama. You can also check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Be sure to join us again 
And until then, remember, we are a Church of Christ caring for its community. Is